The following is a pre-recorded program. An analysis of the Israeli elections today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Hey friends, Michael Brown here, delighted to be with you on the line of fire. If you've been with me from the beginning of the week, I had said that today we were going to take you into debate that I did with Rabbi Shmuley over 10 years ago, uh, Did Jesus Die for Our Sins, debating Isaiah 53. Uh, I, I had failed to realize that this was the week that by the time we got to Thursday, Jewish Thursday, we'd have the results of the Israeli election. So we have that ready uh, God willing, at a time when I'm traveling, maybe an overseas trip or something, we definitely do want to play that for you before the year is out on a thoroughly Jewish Thursday. But right now, I want to try to explain to you what has happened in the elections. And basically, you, you'll see a lot of reports, a lot of headlines saying things uh, that, that Israel is going to the far right, that this is the most dramatically to the right government that Israel's ever had. And there is much truth in that. How concerned should we be? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Uh, what about the coalition of religious parties with Prime Minister Netanyahu? How is this going to work out for Israeli security worldwide, the reputation of Israel worldwide, health security of Israel within the land? What about the Palestinians? Well, we'll try to break that down as best as we can. But let me back up and explain again the complexities of voting in Israel. If you're not familiar with this, uh, this is news. If you are, this is a little reminder. So the Israeli Knesset, the Israeli parliament, has a total of 120 seats. And you have right now parties that have won enough votes to get four seats in the House, right? So in other words, they have won at least 1 30th of the total vote. So whatever the total vote count is, you divide it and it, you have to get at least one thirtieth. So that will give you now four seats in the house. That's the minimum threshold. How many parties actually won? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right. At times it's been higher than this, but it's 10. Now, how do you form a government? You said, oh, no, they voted for Netanyahu, like we voted for Trump or we voted for Biden. No, no, no. That's not how it works. You vote for a party, and the party has a well-known head, in this case, Netanyahu, the head of Likud, for many, many years. And he has already served as the prime minister in Israel for the longest period of time of any prime minister, combined in his two previous uh, reign, well, where they call him king, Melech, right? Uh, but in, in terms of his, his two previous times as prime minister, now with his third time, because you can keep running in Israel, okay? This really puts him in a new category in Israel's young history of 70 plus years. But his party, which was the far away winner, got only 32 seats. The next, Yesh Atid, which was centrist, right-leaning, that got 24. Then religious Zionism, which had, I think, seven seats last election, it doubled to 14, came with a coalition there. And then national unity, 12, Shas, which is ultra-Orthodox Jewish, 11. UTJ, United Torah Judaism, ultra-Orthodox Jewish, got eight. Uh, Yisrael Beitenu, which was a real powerhouse, Russian Jews, they, they took a big hit, five seats. 
uh, UAL, United Arab List, five, and then uh, Hadash Tal, I'm not even familiar with that party, five, and then Labor, which used to be Labor and Likud, like the Republican Democrat, the two biggest parties, down to four, barely got in. And Meretz, so Labor is left-leaning, right? Meretz, even further left, that didn't even make it. Right now, it's only 3.1, I didn't even make it. And Balad, which is another uh, Arab party, and which could have influenced the elections, didn't make it either. It's only 3.04. And Habayit HaYehudi, uh, sorry, Jewish home, it's name, that, that not even one, little over one seat would have gotten. So because they didn't have a threshold of four, you can get enough. They're not in the government. So the only ones in the government are the ones that got enough uh, votes for four seats in the Knesset, okay? You say, all right, now I'm even more confused. How do you form a government? Well, the lead party, so Likud, which got 32, now has to reach out to the others. And they have to say, okay, who's most in harmony with our position? And based on who's most in harmony with our position, can we work together to form a government? So in this case, it's an easy one. It's an easy one because Netanyahu has worked over the years with the ultra-Orthodox parties. So that's 11 and 8. That's 19. Plus his, 32, right? That gives you what? 51. Now you add in religious Zionism and you get 65. So he's got a strong coalition. Now, what happened in the past, the last government patched together uh, this very, very fragile coalition. The, the parties that basically were working together were supposed to be centrist right, but then they ended up working with parties that were all around the left. It was a very shaky coalition. And at a certain point, some of the key parties had people defect and join the other parties. So now the seats have just changed, right? It's, okay, I'm, I'm a minister in this party. I'm, I'm a be like a congressman here. In, in a party, now I shift over to the other party, we just shifted the balance of power, right? Because this person has been appointed to this role. Now it, it just shifted the balance of power. And with that, the government came crashing down. The fragile, fragile coalition, which I didn't know. When it came out, I said, could this be an example of something good? Could this be Israel saying, hey, we're going to work together with all different parties for the common good? Ultimately, because it had to make this coalition, there was too much compromise on too many levels in terms of, no, no, I'm not going to work with that one, that one, that one. The government collapsed, and Netanyahu now back in power, but with a stronger mandate than he has had. Uh, what I want to do is explain first the positive and the negative in broad terms. And I want to go through some articles with you in commentary. Enough of the vote has come in. I'm pre-recording this broadcast, so I'm recording this now Wednesday night at 10.42 p.m. Eastern time. So enough of the vote has come in that I can pretty much say with certainty this is where things are landing, okay? On the one hand, Netanyahu, Benjamin Netanyahu, known as Bibi, that's his nickname, is a very strong and good leader for Israel. He has helped Israel internationally, making alliances with other countries. Uh, when he speaks at Congress, multiple standing ovations because he carries himself a certain way and, and he is staunchly pro-Israel, meaning he has the back of his nation and he wants to see what is best for Israel as a nation. So no one's going to mistake that. And he's really good on security issues. And that means so much, just like your average American now dealing with inflation and the things that hit you every day and COVID in the last thing and how that hits us every day. 
Well, Israelis, security, that's, that's a big thing. Can we feel secure? Can we send our kids on a school bus? Can we walk the streets? Can we feel secure? With Netanyahu, there's a strong feeling of that. And he has been a statesman. That's the positive. The negative, on the one hand, he's had his share of scandals. I mean, he's married three times, confessed to adultery years ago. There are current legal cases against him to try to bring him down. And the idea is, well, if he's prime minister, then that's it, shuts the door on those cases. But there's a lot of controversy surrounding him. He is greatly loved within Israel, and he's greatly hated. Okay, the bigger issue for believers within Israel is that in order for him to be in power, he has to make this coalition with ultra-Orthodox Jews. What do ultra-Orthodox Jews care about? They care about their lives. They care about their priorities. They want government funding so their men can study day and night, study rabbinic literature and study Torah and pray. They do not want their young men fighting in the IDF. That to them would be putting them in a worldly environment and taking them away from Torah study and prayer. And in their view, Torah study and prayer is the very thing that preserves Israel and it's essential they're doing what they're doing. Not only so, how does it affect believers within Israel? (laughs) Well, undoubtedly, they will say, okay, in order for us to join your government, they will say, I want this position, this position, this position. And maybe I want control of education to make sure that our schools are properly funded. Or we want to oversee immigration. Why? We want to keep certain people out. People like Mike Brown, Jewish believers. We don't want them here. And, and it, it just increases pressure on believers. So while there are believers, Messianic Jews in Israel, who are pro Netanyahu, not all of them are, but while they are pro Netanyahu, they always hope, okay, can he form a government without the ultra-Orthodox? Can he come to some coalition with others? Because when the ultra-Orthodox are in power, it is bad for Messianic Jews. It's a negative for Messianic Jews. So I'm quite sure, without talking to my friends in Israel, that they are looking at this with mixed feelings right now, appreciating the good Netanyahu does and the leadership that he brings and the security that he brings. On the other hand, genuinely concerned about where this is going. Now you add in the religious Zionist party and that can even be so nationalistic that the general, the world is going to look at it as anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian and, and very, very dangerous in that regard. And I'm going to read some articles about that to you. How far right is it going to go? The reality is that Israel has been steadily moving to the right for the last couple of decades And it's because of the constant issue of the pressure just on the existence of the Jewish state. It's it's because of the hostility that they can experience from from Palestinian terrorism and the like. Uh, It is because when the rubber meets the road, you want to have a country where you feel secure and your borders are secure and you are recognized for who you are and not under constant uh, demonizing and not under constant threat of your very existence. Uh, for other reasons, there's a going to the right as well politically. The other side of this is that much of the nation is, is far left. Not just left, but far left. Uh, years ago, Tel Aviv was voted far away, nothing even close to it, the most gay-friendly city in the world. There, there's much about Israel that is like left-wing America, and in some cases as radical as or even more radical than well, the ultra-Orthodox on the other side, they hotly oppose these things. 
So, of course, they're all called the homophobic parties. This is going to be a right-wing, anti-Palestinian, homophobic government. That's what's been characterized. And Netanyahu has absolutely been gay-friendly and all of that while still being friendly with religious Jews. I mean, he's a politician. But obviously, policies will swing further to the right. Well, a lot of that is good because Israel swung so far left. And, you know, one lawmaker wanted to, to argue now is actually was fighting right before the new government for government funding of sex change surgery. So Israel's dealing with all that. Now you're going to have something swings the other way, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a good and a bad. It's not one of these situations where you look at it and say, oh, incredible, Netanyahu is back. Evangelical Christians in America are more united in their love for Prime Minister Netanyahu than your average Israeli. But those that love him on the right love him. Those who hate him on the left hate him. And from my perspective, there is good, but it is mixed. And there is a concern that there can be an unhealthy nationalism that becomes an anti-Arab nationalism and an anti-Palestinian nationalism, which is not good for the Jewish people. And of course, it's not good for the Palestinians. All right, we're just getting started. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on the special Thoroughly Jewish Thursday broadcast. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you as we do an analysis of the Israeli elections. I'm recording this late Wednesday night. I'll be traveling tomorrow during radio. I was planning on playing a debate that I did with Rabbi Shmuley years ago for the Thursday show because of my traveling back from Michigan. We will play that for you, God willing, later in this year on a Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. You will enjoy it. But it's obviously important to explain what's happening with the elections. Of course, because I'm pre-recording, I can't take your calls, but we'll cover as many bases as we can. One quick reminder, if you haven't downloaded my app yet, you don't know what you're missing. Just think of Boom, click your finger, and there, right there, you get all kinds of information on answering Jewish objections to Jesus or watching debates with rabbis. Or boom, click on another one in our animated, animated teaching five-minute videos or latest article or latest line of fire broadcast. Right at your fingertips. So go to Ask Dr. Brown, A-S-K, D-R Brown Ministries. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. That's the app on Apple and Android. Make sure you put in the full name, Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. Okay. Let us step back a little bit as we are analyzing the elections here. Uh, and let me, let me look at some editorials. Okay. First, a bigger picture. Bigger picture. Part of the reason that Israel is leaning more and more to the right has to do with what I mentioned in the last segment, namely the, the pressures, the, the threat to Jewish statehood, the threat to Jewish existence, anti-Semitism worldwide, that can contribute. There are numerous things. I'm not a, a demographic expert on Israel, but there's some obvious things, all right? The reaction to the radicalizing of the left as well. But another thing is very simple. Birth rate, birth rate. Ultra-Orthodox Jews, which make up between 10 and 15% of the population, they have a very high birth rate, almost seven children per woman on average. The overall birth rate of Israelis who are secular is, is a fraction of that. It's just about a quarter of that, a little over a quarter of that. So here's an article from Israel Hayom and Jewish News Syndicate, and it was February 22nd, 
22. All right. Now, from the conservative, from the right wing government, here's a headline with overwhelming victory. Netanyahu set to form strong, stable, legitimate right wing government. So this is looked at as obviously totally positive. I have a clip I looked at earlier. I, I would I would have played it for you, incorporated into the broadcast. But there's a lot of background noise in the synagogue with this clip. Uh, but there is a famous ultra orthodox rabbi in B'nai Brak, which is a famous ultra-Orthodox city in Israel right near Tel Aviv. He's 88 years old, Yitzchak Zilberstein. And he's getting up to pray a public prayer of thanksgiving, Mizmor Todah in, in Hebrew, a public psalm of thanksgiving, thanking God for the election results because their parties made it big and will now be part of the government coalition and therefore have more power and influence in their government. Look, every party wants to have influence. Every party, every group thinks they're advocating for the right thing. But look at this. With 4,709 fewer births recorded in 2020, Israel's birth rate declined 2.6% over the previous year. This was recorded, uh, posted February 22nd of this year, going back to data from 2020. Uh, of the 177,307 children born in 2020, 51.4%, 91,101 were boys, 48.6%, 86,006 were girls. A majority, 73.3%, were born to Jewish women, while 21.7% were born to Muslim women. They have a high birth rate as well. 1.4% to Christian women and 2.4% to Druze women. At, uh, so the Arab sector, 2.99 children per woman in the Arab sector. And again, because of the many religious Muslims, they'll have a higher birth rate in the sector and not as high. At 6.6, excuse me, at 6.64 children per woman, Haredi, so ultra-Orthodox women, had the highest fertility rate among Israel's Jewish population compared to 1.96 among secular Jewish women. So it's, it's over three times higher birth rate of religious Jewish women to secular Jewish women. So the population is growing just because of high birth rate, just because these women are having more and more kids. So the, the ultra-Orthodox population is going to steadily grow, and the overall population, which is more secular, will decline. It's just, just numbers. It's just the way it works. So you have that factor, and then the, the radicalizing of elements on the far right Jewish settlers who have attacked Palestinians, and then the ongoing uh, terrorism and attacks and things like that, that only radicalizes all sides. So let's see. Oh, where do I want to start? Okay. Uh, David Horowitz, David Horowitz, excuse me, not the famous conservative spokesman, uh, former radical liberal David Horowitz, but David Horowitz on Times of Israel. This is the headline. Netanyahu, Ben Gvir, win marks, the, win marks the elevation of Jewish Israel above democratic Israel. Vote shows colossal backlash against Bennett Lapid coalition, so the last government with its fragile coalition, especially among religious Zionists. It will take an unforeseeable shift in Israeli reality for pendulum to swing back. Now, who is Ben Gvir? Itamar Ben Gvir is being savaged as far-right, anti-Arab, anti-Palestinian homophobes. Put the homophobe part aside because he simply could believe that biblical values are right and Torah values are right here. So let's put that aside. How far-right is he? Uh, according to the uh, Jerusalem Post, 
Here's an editorial there by the Post itself. This is from August of this year. Itamar Ben-Gavir is the antithesis to Israel's founding fathers. Ben-Gavir is the antithesis of what Israel's founding fathers had in mind when they established the state of Israel and dreamed of coexistence with their Arab neighbors. And uh, according to this, he's dangerous. People need to be aware. Uh, According to this article, until recent years, he had a picture up in his office of Baruch Goldstein, who is an ultra-Orthodox Jew, notorious mass murderer, Jewish doctor, who went in the back of a mosque one day, fully weaponized, and started slaughtering Muslims, uh, slaughtered dozens and dozens of them. I mean, what was it, over 40? An absolute horror, tragedy, until they finally were overcome and beaten to death. But in certain radical uh, groups within Israel, ultra-Orthodox or or ultra-religious Zionist, he's considered a hero. He's considered a martyr. Just like Palestinian terrorists who who blow up a bus with Israeli children, they're considered uh, martyrs and heroes by their radical right element. Well, it's the same with these. So this this is this is the man now. Hey, he's saying, look, we're all brothers. We had elections. We're all brothers. We're going to work together with everyone. But he has now become, even though he's he's kind of second in command to Bezalel Smotrich in uh, in the party and religious Zionists. He's going to have a major role, and he's been like this figure of everyone looking to him, and he's, he's the man. So let me read a little of this, this essay. A year and a half after the most diverse coalition in Israeli history ousted him from office, the indomitable Benjamin Netanyahu is back. Beyond his age, similar to Trump age, right? At 73, Netanyahu again proved himself the most indefatigable of campaigners, crisscrossing the country in his BB bus, maximizing the resonance of his social media platforms, blitzing sympathetic media outlets with interviews, and exhorting every last potential supporter to come out and vote. He is the ultimate politician. Astute in marshalling his allies, he brokered a merger between Bitsalov Smotrich and Itamar Ben-Gavir on the far right and campaigned among the ultra-Orthodox as well, helping his reliable Shas and united Torah Judaism parties to an unprecedentedly strong showing. Again, those are the, the Haredi, the ultra-Orthodox parties, those two. He was helped by the strange complacency of Yair Lapid's campaign. He had the second largest party, uh, Yeshati, with the now outgoing prime minister significantly failing to mirror Netanyahu and unifying labor and merits on the left. So Netanyahu organized the right together, and, and Yair Lapid failed to do that with the left. Neglecting to field prominent candidates who might appeal to moderate Orthodox Jews and watching helplessly as the joint list of mainly Arab parties splintered still further, leaving three political groupings competing against each other for their Arab vote. So here's the other irony. If the Arab parties did form a united list and said, okay, let's all work together. Easier said than done. You look at how many parties you have on the right. Okay? But if, if they came together and said, let's all work together, then they could have potentially gotten enough votes to stop this coalition, potentially. I mean, it would be a big shift now, but they couldn't. So Netanyahu basically brings the right together, but at the cost of going further to the right than he has thus far, consolidates that base. Israel's been moving steadily in that direction, campaigns masterfully, and the others, they they didn't have the coalition to build, and and they they didn't have the vision with which to build it. Uh, The more faithful shift, Marked by Tuesday's vote, 
Harvard says is the elevation of the foundational principle of Israel as a Jewish state above that other foundational principle of Israel as a democratic state. The parties for which those two core values have equal weight or for which the democratic imperative outweighs our country's Jewish centrality were soundly beaten with Israel's founding part of labor on the brink of obliteration and merits at time of writing wiped out. Wow, wow, wow. Labor, founding party in Israel, left wing, reduced to nothing, barely getting enough votes just to get in with four seats. Meretz, far left, important in bringing about coalition before. Out, didn't even get enough. I mean, friends, this is utterly astounding in the shift. And the critics, the fear mongers, are going to be all over this. Now, we don't know which way everything will go in the government and to what extent it will be moderate, to what extent it will still be working for the best of everyone in Israel. Those who are anti-right are really sounding the alarm. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown continuing to break down the outcome of the Israeli elections. A strong return to power for Benjamin Netanyahu. A strong coalition a strong far-right, religious-right coalition. What exactly does it mean? I want to read just a little bit more the opinion of David Horowitz in the Times of Israel. And it's exuberant. Oh, I skipped down to the wrong part. Excuse me, let me get right back to the right part. Here we go. The ultra-Orthodox parties, with their all-male Knesset members, so again, Knesset-Israeli parliament, rose, and so too in particular did religious Zionism, led by Smotrich, Bitzel of Smotrich, who ultimately seeks in Israel run according to the laws of the Torah. And Ben Gvir, so Itamar Ben Gvir, who's Otzma Yehudit, so they, they merge together for religious Zionism, most recent political manifesto advocates the annexation of the biblical Judea and Samaria for an enlarged sovereign Jewish state in which West Bank Palestinians would be denied equal rights. Israel's much criticized electoral system does enable a pretty representative reflection of the electorate's mindset, and the results show an overwhelming backlash against the Bennett-Lapid government, most especially among the religious Zionists who felt betrayed by Naftali Bennett's decision to take their votes into a coalition with Lapid, the left, and Ra'am, and who on Tuesday voted to ensure there could be no repeat of what they saw as that abuse. In other words, those who voted leaning to the right and voted for Naftali Bennett and his party which is supposed to be a right-leaning religious party. Well, in order to get in power, and he comes out of nowhere, he had a small amount of votes, to become prime minister to share it for a couple of years uh, with Yair Lapid. So what happens with Bennett now is, is that he says, all right, to, to make this work, we can't work in Netanyahu because you know, we're against him and, and we don't, people voted for his didn't necessarily want him back in, so we'll make our coalition with these other groups. And it's like, we didn't want you to work with them. We voted for you to be you. We voted for your party to be your party and, and bring our voice to the table, and you betrayed us. So things shifted further right. And, and this is what's happening in America. We're having a polarizing further right and further left as each side sees the other as more dangerous. And those in the middle, if, if they now make an alliance the wrong way, they're considered 
stay away from them. So, so this is what happened. All right. Again, I, I just want to share some different editorials with you. Uh, Haaretz, which is famously, famously left-leaning, one of the oldest publications in Israel, and famously left-leaning. All right. Uh, Amos Harel has this editorial. So again, you can expect this to be negative. I'm just going to read the headline in the opening paragraph. After snagging elections, this time Netanyahu might fundamentally change Israeli democracy. The former prime minister hasn't been big on military adventures or changes to the judicial system, system, but his need to cancel his corruption trial is converging with far-right partners keen to curb the Supreme Court. All right, so he's, he's saying, look, Netanyahu, he wants to get in power. Their corruption trial to try to put him in jail. This way he can stop that whole thing. But he's now made this coalition with the right in order to get in power. And this could fundamentally change the way Israel operates as a nation. So there is a, a lot of sounding an alarm. Uh, this is an article from Foreign Policy, David E. Rosenberg. And this came out October 30th. So this is before this government was formed. But as I'm looking at the, at the, uh, the picture here where you've got the, the different faces together, all right, this is, um, well, you know, radical right party. They've got pictures of some of the very people in power now looking at a billboard in Israel. So this is, again, far left in Israel. You'd expect them to be hostile, especially given the nature of the government. What makes Israel's far right different? The religious Zionist party's rise isn't about immigration, crime, or populist economics. Again, religious Zionist party, that's Smotrich and, and Ben, uh, ben Gvar, they have, they have gone, uh, Ben Gvir, excuse me, they have gone from seven seats to 14 and became key kingmakers here. The article claims it's driven by Jewish supremacy and anti-Arab racism. Uh, let's just skip down. Uh, after four trips to the voting booth in less than four years, because each time they voted, they, they, no one could make a government, revote, revote, revote. So the parliament barely had power to, Knesset barely had power to, to move forward, paralyze the nation in certain ways. It should come as no surprise that ahead of Israel's November 1st election, there has been little vo- movement and voter sentiment. The lines are again drawn between those who favor Prime Minister, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's return to power and those who are horrified by the prospect, right? So big division there. Polls consistently show the voters delivering yet another deadlock. Well, it shifted right. It shifted right. And, and Netanyahu ran a better campaign, and it ended up the polls didn't have it right. It shifted further to the right. It says, however, there is one exception to this reenactment of the last few elections, and that is the rise of the far right. So Harrell is completely correct about that. The polls show that the alliance known as religious Zionism, a grouping of the religious Zionists, Otsma Yehudit, and Noam parties, is set to double the number of seats it controls, and they have 120-member Knesset to as many as 14 in this week's election. Exactly what happened. That would make this alliance the third largest bloc in the Knesset and ensure it gets a pick of plum cabinet portfolios in the event Netanyahu forms a religious right government, which he did. He's about to, right? So again, you get in, you say, I will join your government and give you a government, because without me, you can't make a government, but... I want to be over, let's say, education and over finance, right? And then a woman says, okay, I want to be over uh, security issues, military, and I want to be over immigration. And you make your deals. And that's how, that's how you do it. The ideas and attitudes, according to Harrell, 
that comprise religious Zionism's platform have hovered on the margins of Israeli politics for a long time. But they had, they had been rejected by the respectable right, represented by people like Netanyahu and former Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Its platform includes things like annexation of West Bank settlements, expulsion of asylum speakers, uh, seekers, and political control of the judicial system. Oh, that's why the warning that this could fundamentally change the Supreme Court. And excuse me, I keep saying, I'm, I'm reading from Harrell. I, I, excuse me, I've said that three times, I think. This is David Rosenberg in foreign policy. Forgive me for that. I set it up correctly and three times I've said it incorrectly. My profound apologies. Uh, religious Zionism, oh, here we go. Uh, religious Zionism's roots lie in even more extreme politics than it is peddling to voters today. Itamar Ben-Gvir, the alliance's number one vote-getter, began his career as a follower of the late Rabbi Meir Kahana. So Kahana was no Jews in Israel. No Jews in Israel. His son is, is influential in Israel today. Kahana Chai part of the Kahana Lives party. But uh, marginalized by others, but getting a more following among more radicalized Jews. All right? So not just the ultra-Orthodox. Many of the ultra-Orthodox don't even believe in the modern state of Israel. They believe that it's getting in the way of Messiah coming and setting things up. But for protection of the Jewish people and for other reasons, they still live there. So they're, they're, they're anti-Zionist in many ways, but they're ultra-Orthodox. But then the religious Zionists, which is a different group, the religious Zionists have gotten more and more radically anti-Palestinian, anti-Arab as the years have gone on. So uh, Itamar Ben-Gavir began his career as a follower of the late Rabbi Meir Kahana. If you want to look up Kahana, K-A-H-A-N-E, K-A-H-A-N-E. And for years, according to this, adorned his living room, I guess at office before, with a picture of Baruch Goldstein, a Kahana follower who massacred was 29, 29 Palestinians in a 1994 shooting spree. The Noam party is openly homophobic. Again, I'd be classified as homophobic. You would be if you share biblical values. As the alliance has grown in strength, it has tried to smooth its roughest edges, but never quite disowned them. So that's going to be the real question now. This, this is going to be the, the real question, namely, will the far right coming into power now become a little bit more moderate? Itamar Ben-Gavir said, hey, we're all in this together, basically. And I, I'm even seeing uh, editorials saying, hey, hey, look, the vote's in. This is how Israel voted. Let them govern. Let's see what happens. Okay, let's see where it goes. But the concerns are that it's going to go in a dangerous direction. Here's an article in Jerusalem Post I started to read from before, an editorial August 21st, and it is against Itamar Ben-Gavir. Uh, it says he puts on a great show. He constantly smiles and interviews him during public appearances. He jokes with the journalists who interview him and disarms them with his cheerful and friendly approach, and he's become super popular. But don't be mistaken, he is dangerous, and people need to be beware. Need to beware. Occasionally, it's happened in one interview this week, he shows his true face. When we form the government, he said, I will promote the deportation law, which will deport anyone who acts against the state of Israel or IDF soldiers. Those who show stones and Molotov cocktails at soldiers will be deported from here, maybe to Europe. They need working hands there. However, he said the same law would not apply to Jews. Instead, he said Jews who throw stones at Arab would be put in jail in Israel 
but would not be deported from the country. In other words, there are two sets of laws in Israel, those for Arabs and those for Jews. This is the interpretation of it. Ben Gavir is an ardent follower of Koch, so that's the Kahana party, founder of Mayor Kahana. He is a past leader of the militant group who had a picture of terrorist Baruch Goldstein, the American-born Israeli doctor, on and on, hanging this Hebron home until recently. And according to the investigative program, Uvdel was involved in instigating illegal settle activity in the West Bank at illegal outposts and in price tag attacks against Palestinians. So you attack Palestinians for pay. Where does he stand now? I don't know. I don't live in Israel. I, I don't know people that know him or are close to him. Uh, has he become less radical? Uh, are his viewpoints being rightly represented? These things will flesh themselves out. But you can expect all types of, of hysteria. You can expect all types of major concern. There are legitimate issues to raise and legitimate concerns to have. But the Israeli people have spoken and said, ultimately, this is what we want by voting for these different groups. And it's an interesting thing. So I've talked about concerns, dangers of the right, but let's be candid. Israel's moving further to the right because of the, the, the weakness of the left. You know, Elon Musk has said his views haven't changed for years in terms of political issues. He used to be a Democrat, but by staying still, because the Democrats have gone so far to the left, he's now a Republican. Similar things, not identical, but similar things have happened in Israel with the left going so far left and in ways even being anti-Israel and what seems to be destructive to your own country and almost embarrassed of your own country, like we'll have on the radical left here, but those who are more moderate now find themselves further and further to the right. So how do we even pray? The way you always pray, God, your best for all the people in Israel, Jew, Arab, Muslim, Christian, your best for Israel, and do what is best for leading all to salvation your son Jesus the Messiah. Okay, we will be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us, friends, on this last segment of our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday analysis of the Israeli elections. Michael Brown, thanks so much for joining us. I want to read one last editorial to you in a moment. And this is from Jerusalem Post, and it's as conciliatory as, as you can ask for. Now, it's not Haaretz, which is far left, okay? But Jerusalem Post is not right-wing. It's not like, wow, we're you know, cheering on Netanyahu and cheering on the religious Zionist parties and all of that. So it's, it's very conciliatory, and it's from Jerusalem Post editorial team that's representing them. Um, I want to read that to you in a moment. I, I tried to pack in a lot. I, I hope it's been intelligible. I, I tripped down a couple words and got a couple names wrong here and there. I, I hope everything's been intelligible and clear, but I've been trying to squeeze a lot in to make this a good learning experience today. I just want to say one more thing about the Noam party. I, I was not as familiar with them as, say, Shas or United Torah Judaism, other ultra-Orthodox parties, but uh, Noam, which got a small amount of votes, but an, uh, as part of the coalition is re religious Zionism, so I don't know exactly what Noam would have gotten on its own, but together with uh, Otsma Yehudit joining together as one with Religious Zionist Party, 
uh, they got 14 votes, doubled what they had last time, religious Zionists. Okay, so it's a very strong coalition at the moment. But uh, according to Wikipedia, all right, so I'm just going to read this to you. So I didn't see it's Wikipedia. The party's main goal is to advance policies, quote, against LGBT rights and against what its backers call, quote, the destruction of the family. Uh, it says this, the party released a video under the comment, an entire country is going through conversion therapy. The time has come to stop it. And it, it says this in the video, a mother, father, and son go to vote on election day in September, and the family is bombarded with LGBT and reform, so that's left-wing Judaism imagery. Once they reach the voting booth, the mother writes on her voting slip, let my son marry a woman, while the father writes, let my grandson be Jewish. The video was removed by YouTube for violating its terms of use. Oh, isn't this something? So again, as, as I pointed out, if you and I were running for office and held to our beliefs that marriage is the union of a man and a woman, that God did not intend for a man to be married to a man or a woman to be married to a woman, that kids do best with a mother and father as opposed to with two mothers or two fathers, we'd be branded homophobic, okay? So how is uh, this party known in Israel? Anti-LGBT. The new party is called Noam, a normal people in our land. And has been established by activists con connected to the conservative Har Hamor Yeshiva in Jerusalem and its president, Rabbi Tzvi Tao, so ultra-Orthodox Jews. But they joined together with two others to now make the religious Zionist party very strong and part of the Netanyahu coalition. How much power will they have? I don't know. But without necessarily agreeing with how they go about doing certain things, which I do not know, so I can't say either way, I would certainly agree with the values. I would certainly agree it is in Israel's best interest, absolutely in Israel's best interest, to not go the way of LGBTQ activism. And Israel is radically there. The problem is, unless you have the gospel to change people's hearts, unless that's the case, hearts and minds who change, you're going to have the further radicalizing of the left and the further radicalizing of the right, and whoever's in power is going to push the other one down. That is the reality. Now, of course, religious Jews would say, well, what we need to do is bring Jews to Torah, and when they come to Torah, then they will share these values. Either way, there should be a pushback against radical LGBT activism and in Israel, especially in the schools, absolutely. But how you do it, how you bring it to pass without changing people's hearts and minds, that's gonna be the challenge. So here's the editorial in Jerusalem Post. Israel voted for Netanyahu, Ben Gvir, let them govern. This is just acknowledging that in a democracy, the will of the people should be respected and the election results have made this country's wishes known unequivocally. So here's the editorial in Jerusalem Post. Israel went to the polls on Tuesday and in rather uncharacteristic fashion, rendered a clear decision, Benjamin Netanyahu, instead of the endless division and we can't come up with a winner. No hung jury this time, no tie, no waffling. The country wants Netanyahu back as the head of a very right-wing and religious government. The nation has spoken and now it is time to honor its decision. What does that mean? It means letting Netanyahu form a right-wing, very religious coalition. That is what the people want. That is what they voted for. And this is not meant to say to the country, as a parent might to a misbehaving child, you made your bed, now lie in it. Rather, this is just acknowledging that in a democracy, 
Well, if the people should be respected and the election results have made this country's wishes known unequivocally, there's that word again. Hey, look, to stop reading for a moment, Joe Biden is my president. I didn't vote for him. I despise some of his policies and where they're going, his pro-abortion stance, his radical trans activist stance and other things. I despise those policies. I pray for him. He's my president. Some of you absolutely despise Donald Trump's person. He was your president, whether you voted for him or not. That's the way it works in a democracy or, in our case, in America, in a democratic republic. When the coalition building begins, the editorial continues, there will be calls to bring other parties, such as Benny Gantz's National Unity, or even Yair Lapid's Yeshatid, into the coalition to form a national unity government. And although there is always something comforting in calls for unity, and some will say this is needed to moderate what is shaping up to be the most right-wing government in the country's history, that's not what the nation voted for. In other words, 65 out of 120 voted for this, okay, when you break it down by seats. So a, a clear majority for Israel, 65 versus 55, said this is what we want. Uh, it did not vote for Gantz to be defense minister or Lapid to be foreign minister. It voted for Netanyahu and Itamar Ben-Gvir and Bezalel Smotrich, again, the heads of religious Zionism, and Arya Derry and Yitzhak Goldnuff. These are the heads of Shas United Torah Judaism. They have received a clear mandate. By the way, Arya Derry went to jail for, for corruption and, and Messianic Jews always said the guy's no good. Obviously, pray for his salvation, but he, he works against us in dishonest ways. He's not to be trusted. He went to jail, came out of jail, and back in leadership. If down the lines, Gantz will appear to some for their parties up to join the government, then so be it. But it's time to honor the people's choice and give them what they voted for. In other words, they say, hey, we want to add your coalition and you give you more power. That's one thing. When you don't give the people what they vote for, when you give them something they didn't bargain for, you're inviting problems. Just ask former Prime Minister Naftali Dennett and the outgoing government of change. Again, they voted him for one reason. He makes a coalition with others they didn't vote for. You're out. Whatever it is that the country said at the ballot box in the March 2021 elections, it did not say that it wanted to see Bennett, leader of a party that won just seven seats, as Prime Minister. Yet that is what the country got, and that is why Bennett was dogged through his short tenure by questions of legitimacy. I, I mean, think of that. Think of a libertarian candidate. He's like, well, he splits the difference... The, the Democrat gets 51 percent. Let's say the Democrat gets 48 percent and the Republican gets 46 percent and the other guy gets the remaining six votes, says six percent. Say, hey, you put me in as president for a couple of years and I'll switch with the other. And whoever does it gets in. No, that's not what they voted for. What right do you have? He was asked repeatedly to lead a country when so people so few people actually voted for you. There's not a question that can be asked of an incoming Netanyahu government which received a clear mandate to govern. With that decisive mandate, however, comes responsibility, and part of that responsibility is the need to quickly reassure voters who woke up on Wednesday morning feeling that their country was slipping through their fingers. Netanyahu's first order of business, as well as that of his potential partners, needs to be to recognize the fears and concerns among many of the country's Arabs, women, members of the LGBTQ community, and secular citizens, and to assuage those fears. You can say, look, we have different values and different views, but we want to protect everyone's fundamental rights. We want to make sure everyone is safe in Israel. If, if, if someone reflecting my views was the president of the United States and a lot of gays were like, what's he going to do? Well, the first thing you say, hey, you are citizens like everybody else. You may have voted for somebody else, but you're an American citizen. I'm here as your president, the same as everybody else. And while I do not agree with homosexual practice, while I do not agree with same-sex marriage, the law is what it is right now, 
and I'm duty bound to uphold the law. I am the president, right, of all the people. This is where the law currently stands. And uh, you know my views and you know how we'll govern, but you are as protected and loved as everybody else in the country. And I would, you know, if you're a Jewish person, was going to try to proselytize every? No, no, no. I, I am the president. Excuse me, not a someone in my shoes holding these views. If I were the president, that's what I'd say. So will they do that? We will see. Uh, the coalition partners led by a man who is returning for an unprecedented third round to lead the country. Ben-Gurion, Shamir, and Peretz each return once. Need to make it clear to them that they have nothing to fear, that this is their country too, and that their way of life will be respected and their rights protected. Well, to what extent will the celebration of homosexuality be respected and protected? Those, those are questions. Some may argue that this is a given, that there's no reason to state it. Wrong. Whether justifiably or not, there is a fear among many that the country is about to perform a U-turn on everything that has to do with democratic and minority rights. Netanyahu must broadcast clearly and as soon as possible that this is not going to happen. Now, as a seasoned politician, I believe he wants to do this. He started to do so already, it says, saying in his victory speech early Wednesday morning that while he will lead a right-wing government, he intends to be prime minister of all Israelis, right and left, Jews and non-Jews alike. I believe he wants to do that. And I believe he's going to position himself to do that. But to what extent can he do that with this coalition? And to what extent, if, if people have voted leaning to the right, to what extent does Israel want certain things? Protection of women, protection of minorities, protection of Palestinians, of course. Protection of, of the, the fundamental living rights of LGBTQ identified people, of course. But how this unfolds is going to be really, really interesting. And again, I'm not an insider enough and politically astute enough with any insight from God right now to tell you how it's going to go. But there's much good potential and much bad potential. All the more to pray, God, your best for Israel. Have you downloaded the app? Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries. If you want to get it, do it now. Share it with your friends. You won't be disappointed. Another program powered by the Truth Network.